It's obvious that design is all around us, but how designers think through their work is often a mystery. Yet, understanding that process can fuel our own curiosity and creativity. Adam Fromey hosts Thinking Through Design as a series of in-depth discussions to reveal the designer's mindset and realize its value. I am really excited for today. We've been talking about the idea driving this podcast for a while. Mm -hmm. So there's a nice sense of satisfaction as we begin. <laughs> um, this podcast is about the designer's mindset. Um, or to say it another way, how designers think. And it's my aim to bring to light what that means. Um, because it's not enough just to tell people, be creative. And I think this is particularly felt as design expands beyond the role of the traditional designer. Mm -hmm. um, people experience a sense of confusion about the roles and expectations of work that is creative, right? Um, and I think this issue is tied to a disconnect between what designers do and what we say we do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, particularly because it's awkward just to be like, I'm a problem solver. Or I, I solve problems, right? Um, and so gen designers generally default to something along the lines of, I make stuff, whether it's websites or furniture. Uh, I want to hear from you as to what do you see? What do I see? Um, b before I, I tell you what, what I see, I, I would like to do a little bit of a forward to what I see in the world <laughs> today. <laughs> and perhaps that will give us some ways to figure out why we need more of these thinkers. Okay? Yes. So I read that statement the other day, which I felt was uh, both scary and interesting. It says, our world is better off now than at any point in human history, but at the same time, things have never been worse. <laughs> so I think that it, it encapsulates well the contradictions that we're facing these days, right? Yeah. Um, and when we talk about making things, uh, when we talk about critically thinking, I, I think that means that, um, yes, we're problem solving. Um, but we need to switch from a linear way of solving problems to something that you know, is often referred to as systemic problem solving, um, meaning in uh, an easy way to say it, that we need to take into account a lot of parameters. And um, I think what it means is the approach that organizations or governments took over the past century or centuries, <laughs> like cookie cutter approaches, um, one size fits all, uh, even best practices as models for standardizations um, are not as applicable as they used to be. So we need to prototype some, some solutions that we've never used before. And I think that's, that's where uh, it's going to be extremely important and relevant that uh, if these solutions are becoming more systemic, more complex, then designers are definitely great candidates in contributing to that problem solving. 
Yeah, and, and I, I see this sort of, the shift is happening mm-hmm. where, especially with government organizations, and there's an awareness of wanting to be design often sort of labeled as innovation. Yes. But the sort of the ideas behind or, or what are core to the designer's role, mm-hmm. there's an awareness. And, and, but I see sort of the realization of, I don't know what that means, mm-hmm. or I don't know necessarily how. Mm-hmm. Just hiring a designer is not enough. Yeah. Or, or sort of giving people maybe in a very limited role permission to do things isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and it keeps coming back at least to me um, that people don't know how the, this idea or the thing that we've been talking about is this designer's mindset mm-hmm. and, and what that actually means for people within their role, within their job, within what they do. Yes. Um, and I know we've talked about this phrase a lot, though, mm-hmm. especially within students in the Department of Design is wanting them to be curious, critical thinkers. Um, and, and for me, that gets to the heart of this idea of creative rigor or that creativity is most fruitful when it's both sort of boxed in by some of these constraints, mm-hmm. but also has an expectation of achievement. Uh, and, and being able to flush out this idea of curious, critical thinking. Mm-hmm. For you, what does it mean to be curious, critical thinker? Um, and maybe what are some of the attributes that you'd assign to this mindset that Mm-hmm. we see as needed in the world. Yeah, well, I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> so um, what is critical thinking first, right? Yeah. And what does that mean? Um, basically, critical thinking refers to the thinking involved when you resolve a problem. So right there is thinking of some sort, right? Um, and thinking is always about someone, or something, so in this case, uh, it's both, right? We need to think about how we're going to solve problems for people. And I think that's what uh, would be a uh, descriptor of what design does. It's critically solving problems for people. Not just because I'm personally interested in this problem, right? I want this potential solution to be applicable as as many people as possible so the world can benefit from this really cool thing that I came up with. Um, so it could be, um, uh, it could come to us in, in, in various shapes or form. It could be something that we're asked to solve. It could be what I like to refer to as scratch an itch. You know, it's something that's been bothering me for so long. I'm, I'm just going to put my, my thinking around it. Um, or it could be uh, a collective. You, you join um, a collective and then there's uh, a community involved in resolving something that's really wicked, that's really com- complex. Um, can anyone think critically? I think everybody can think critically, right? I mean, there's, as long as you display some sort of thinking, anybody could be a critical thinker. But that means that First and foremost, you don't take what you read or hear or see for granted. To me, that's the first step of thinking critically that you're going to question. And um, what um, I think it goes back to is 
and that's the curious part of critical thinking, is that you form a habit of questioning. Mm. And you question a lot. You know, when, we, when, when children are with, um, you know, we all remember these moments of our childhood, like when we ask, well, why, why does the, the road make a curve? Or why is the sky blue? Or why do I have to brush my teeth? Or why is it time to go to bed? You know, why, 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 why? And kids do that a lot because they are discovering the world around them. And those are the basic premises of curiosity. Um, and then we somewhat get answers to those questions. And, and my uh, theory is that based on what the answer you will get, you will keep asking or you will reduce the number of questions you ask. And that's what your culture is going to do to your curiosity. Either it's going to quench uh, your thirst of curiosity, or it's going to actually bring more reasons to ask questions. And some cultures are more um, focused on giving answers that are going to be the answers that you want your children to, to bear for their, you know, for their adolescence or by the time they get adults or even later, right? And other cultures, or it could be a microculture, like, you know, your upbringing, your parents, your guardians, whoever uh, you, you grew up with, are, are, are going to want you to not have answers, but keep questions. It, it's interesting that uh, I, I love this idea that there's an importance mm-hmm. on the answer yep. responded yes. to the question. Yes. And, and how that sets a trajectory for mm-hmm. the next question, or mm-hmm. if it's just sort of stopping that, that line of inquiry. Yeah. And I don't think that's something I hear discussed much, um, whether it's in sort of um, child development mm-hmm. or, or in the workplace. Mm-hmm. What do you see some of the hallmarks of a good answer um, or, or sort of the, the response to that of, of how can we sort of foster that next question? Yeah. And the, so, so we're still motivating the person's curiosity mm-hmm. to keep asking. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Adam. Um, because the, the, the answer you get will either close the door to further asks or it would leave the door a little open, you know. And, and first and foremost, I think um, it is a service uh, to our children to keep the door open. Um, and so what, what do you do uh, to do that? I, I, I think... That, that, that's where I had uh, a little anecdote for you. I think sometimes it, it happens early, could happen late. Um, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm a strong believer in the importance of context and environment and how it impacts us uh, in the way we um, become who we are and we continue to nurture uh, who we are as, as a person. Um, the, the, the thing is that the more the answer you received as a child are ingrained in your value system, they become your norms. 
and they kind of govern a lot of behaviors that you're going to demonstrate mm-hmm. as you yeah. face you know, difficult situation. So here's the, the, the anecdote I, I, I had for you. So as you know, I grew up in France. And um, when um, we have dinner, it's very codified family dinner. You sit around the table and it's the moment, you know, where you, you are with the family. And it's codified in the sense that my mom was serving us an appetizer, then a dish, and salad, cheese, and a dessert. Like, good recipe for a good diet, right? Hmm. The, the first time I came here, you, you see where I'm yeah. going, right? <laughs> the first time I came here, I see people standing, you know, for, for dinner. <laughs> they don't even sit in the kitchen. I find that strange. But, you know, I'm like, okay, that's the way they do it here. Okay. Another situation is I'm invited to a party, and I see a tray of cheese the moment I arrive to the party. I'm thinking, well, you don't eat cheese as an appetizer. You know, <laughs> it was so ingrained in my yeah. own uh, value system. I wouldn't touch the cheese. I'm like, no, you eat cheese after your ditch. You don't yeah. dish. You don't, you don't eat it first and f- first place. Things were out of order. <laughs> yeah, it's out of order. That doesn't fit. So... But I didn't ask. Mm. So instead of asking, I'm like, well, that's the way people do it here. And I would not eat it. Until one day, so that's, you know, a little bit later, I'm learning about the culture in North America. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to try it. So I broke my codes, right? Yeah. I don't remember why, but I did break my code. And then I realized that it means something different that I was not curious enough. But eating cheese as an appetizer, you know, when people welcome you, is a way to actually engage in a conversation. It's a way of sharing, because, you know, we eat from the same uh, board. Uh, It's a way of sampling things. So you discover things. It's not like you, it's a sequence. You actually discover some tastes that you perhaps uh, did not know before. So I think this this is an example that explains why in many instances our curiosity may be thwarted by preconceived thoughts. Yeah. Sometimes unconscious, right? Absolutely. No, I I see, I I would imagine, Mm -hmm. I don't have evidence behind this, but we we do ask fewer questions as we get older or yep. for, for in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's really curious because it, <laughs> no without, pun intended, not right? Not at all. <laughs> but with, with our, our design students, yeah. we're really trying to bring that out. And yeah. it is some and something that I talk about in the classroom mm-hmm. of I'm really bringing you back to your childhood. Yes. At, and I want you to have that that sense of mm-hmm. curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. We have that even with um, the sort of classic experiment with marshmallows and spaghetti, mm-hmm. where you put a yeah. room of adults um, and a room of children together, mm-hmm. and you ask them each to sort of build the tallest tower possible yes. with, with those um, supplies. Mm-hmm. And repeatedly, the children outperform the adults mm-hmm. because they have that sense of curiosity and 
they start pushing the, the spaghetti, the raw spaghetti into the marshmallows and realize how difficult that is. Yeah. Um, and so there's a sense of experimentation, that, that sort of yeah. inquiry into how these things can go together, how these materials can go together. Mm-hmm. Whereas the adults want to have a discussion. Yeah. Um, for two thirds of the time, yeah. and, and so like, it's not till oh the very God, we end do it. Yes. W- until yeah. they they sort of have that moment of curiosity mm-hmm. about how can we actually do this mm-hmm. with this um, change uh, of mindset. Mm-hmm. How can we continue to sort of foster that both in our students but also in the mm-hmm. workplace of of you 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 said earlier of leaving the door open yes and. I know that's something that's very difficult in the classroom because mm-hmm. ultimately the thing that matters most, at least from the student perspective, is their grade. Mm-hmm. And, and so we want a clear rubric. We want a clear grading system. We want to be transparent in that. And so that generally leads to there needs to be an absolute answer mm-hmm. that they can obtain and, and yep. repeat and mm-hmm. recite back to us. Yes. I don't see that working in design. Um, as as clearly, mm-hmm. because we are talking about things that these big, complex, systemic problems that have multiple ways into it, yes, multiple ways out of it, multiple right. solutions, yeah. um, and I think it's probably a pattern of both our, just sort of the the structure of education, mm-hmm. uh, of sort of honing in on knowledge, yeah. without that critical thinking part where. Mm-hmm. the doors left open to the answer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. That's, um, you know, during uh, elementary uh, school years or even middle school, um, it's important to acquire this knowledge. And I, I think m- many uh, school of thoughts have tried to figure out ways to recognize uh the progresses of this knowledge acquisition. And um, grades are definitely the driver in figuring out if it's acquired or if it's not yet acquired. And I agree that um, it could be either very uh, intimidating, normative in a way that students will get disappointed or pleased with the fact that, oh, the teacher or the professor recognized me as a good student. We've, we've created this um, context of you're a good student, you're a bad student, you're an overachiever, you're underperformer. You know, this, these are terms that keep coming and coming. And, and then repeated in the workplace as well. And are repeated in the workplace, right? And so we carried that with us that... Um, how many times you hear people and go, oh, I'm an overachiever, I need to get this right. And, and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that um, it can give a sense of confidence to some, which is good. I'd like to talk about that a little later. Or it can have created um, some discomforts in others because the way they think it does not fit this um, reward system. And maybe they are the ones that have the door open, but we've not created a, um, a grading um, 
approach that recognizes that. And some, some, um, some schools like Montessori recognize that, right? They, they value project, they value students working together, they value students organizing their own schedule. Uh, in uh, between the time they, they arrive at school and the time they leave. Um, that gives a lot of freedom in the way students are going to determine what they want to start with. And then they, they get into their own routine instead of an imposed routine. I think that's a very interesting model that um, more schools should approach because working within a project, and we see that a lot in design, right? It's, it's, it's project-based uh, problem-solving. Working on a project helps you to discover a key factor of this uh, curiosity, which is collaboration. How confronting what you think with others, not only your teacher, but what, how you think with others is going to trigger some reflection, some critical thinking about the way you think about the problem. And it's this exchange of information that opens other doors to discovering new solutions. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I have a couple ideas off of that. One is um, one of the places I worked at a long time ago, they worked with elementary school children, mm -hmm. and they really sort of encouraged this idea of cheating. Yep. Uh, of stealing from stealing, mm -hmm. stealing ideas from your classmates yeah. because while depending on sort of how you view the world, yep. something will either make sense to you or not. Mm -hmm. And while we're looking at a project over time, you might get stuck on step number three. Yes. And somebody else, that's very easy to do. And yeah. if you could just get past that step, the rest of it would make sense to you. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of teamwork yeah. uh, and working on a, on a in collaborative mm -hmm. nature mm -hmm. assists that for the individual yep. of, of being able to have different people contributing to different parts or different steps of the process mm -hmm. so that the overall can have more of a kinetic nature or, or more direction. Exactly. I also see there's both, there needs to be that culture of working on a team and what collaboration looks like versus yes. sort of me and my ideas and which ideas do I want to share with the group versus save for myself so I can look like the, yes. the gold star? Yeah. Um, or students or, or workers, for that matter, um, where that's not their personality. Mm -hmm. and, and being able to sort of bring that out of them, not just sort of being an introvert, but working in your head versus sort of being um, someone that is able to share or communicate freely and clearly without sort of some of the yeah. barriers. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, as you are talking, I was thinking of last week. I was uh, attending the, the World Design Organization Conference, which happened in, in, in Tokyo. And we are talking a lot about that. That, of course, it's designers talking to designers. So <laughs> take, them, uh, take some uh, um, uh, exception about, you know, we like to talk about the same things over and over. But this said, um, we agreed that one discipline cannot solve the, the problem that are ahead of us. It has to be multidisciplinary. It has to be even transdisciplinary. Because to your point, 
um, collaborating in the Latin sense of collaborare, right? Like I'm working with you, means that for the collaboration to be very effective, you need to give first before you take. Mm. And we uh, don't always think of it that way. Uh, we, we always, we always, many of us would say, well, what am I going to learn from this session? What I'm going to, what was going to be my takeaway? Remember, that's such a, yes. you know, that's such a coded way. What's my takeaway? Well, how about you figure out how you're going to figure out the patterns, the process, the um, engagement in the collaboration first before you think about the takeaway? Because yeah. there's as much, as much to be learned during the process as there is to learn about the solution. Yeah, the outcome. Ab absolutely. That's that's what I was going to say is that we, especially for people not familiar with the design design or the yes. the design process as, mm -hmm. as we call it, yep. um, the focus is always on the outcome. Yes. And and I I warn I, I caution my students that mm -hmm. if you're doing it right, oftentimes the solution is kind of unsatisfactory because you're so in the process yes. and understanding the process that the solution that you come up with for the goal that you're trying to do or the problem you're trying to solve yep. feels very obvious mm -hmm. because what we do well, and I, I think sort of the hallmark of design is this process. Yes. And I think there are some key components mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking in, in your the conversation about working on a team, one mm -hmm. of the important steps for facilitation, yeah. we can borrow from sort of co-design or collaborative mm -hmm. design where we bring participants into design yes. with designers, Yeah, um, is treating them as an expert. And I think that often goes unacknowledged mm -hmm. on a team project that yeah. you're on this team because you have an expertise in this, yeah. whatever your background is, whether yes. that's sort of formal training or informal experience. Yes. But being able to sort of acknowledge that and and make it easy for people to share their voice, their perspective, so so that they feel empowered to do so. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's a, a key role that facilitators mm -hmm. of teams or, mm -hmm. or project managers mm -hmm. um, really need to pay attention to and cue in on versus just sort of assuming people know to do that yeah. or just because you're on the team, you're de facto mm -hmm. here. Um, but really sort of calling out the individuals and what that role is so there's an expectation to participate that can then sort of at least get the ball rolling. Yeah, but yes, the, the, uh, as I was listening to you, it made me think of a dimension that I think is very important back to our critical thinking yes. uh, topic is the ability that you develop. And, and this is something, as I said, everybody can critically think, right? The moment Absolutely. you think, you can critically think. But good critical thinkers are good because they have exerted their um, critical thinking over and over and over. Right? So that's the expertise you're talking about that comes with practice. And how do you do that is how you develop an ability when somebody's talking to you to think about what the person is actually saying. 
So you don't just listen, right? You're an active listener and you are starting to compare what the person is telling you against either your own point of view or the way you would have approached um, the, the, the situation, so back to the process you're describing, or how you're going to absorb what the person's telling you to develop and co-create, so that's what we do in design, right? Co-create another version of what you were thinking before the exchange, before the conversation, into something that's kind of the result of what you think and what the person was telling you. It's very difficult to do um, if you don't practice it over and over and over. But that's really how you're going to make your own critical thinking evolve based on external contribution from other human beings. You can do that through reading, of course, and take notes and ask questions, you know, in the margin and these kind of things. But when it's a conversation or a group or a team project, it's much more fun because you even have more diverse point of view. And by doing this, so critically thinking when somebody else is talking, that's how you, you know, we're talking about the door open. That's how you keep opening the door a little more and a little more and, and, and let this flow of new information or even new knowledge um, Get to, yeah. get to you. Yeah, the the interpretation yes. of, of the exchange mm. is absolutely critical even in um, this idea of brainstorming. We yeah. designers like to throw that term around a lot, and it's mm -hmm. used widely. Yeah. But what that means is in the exchange, um, I heard the metaphor to where it's sort of like a ball of clay yeah. that I'm passing to somebody else, mm. and they're changing it, and then they hand it back to me. Yes. And the same idea that the ideas yep. being shared are colliding with one another. Mm -hmm. So they're affecting one another instead yeah. of it just sort of um, this linear progression of the conversation towards just one step A, step B, step C, or it's sort of following a, yeah. a singular line. Yeah. It, it's expanding and it's absolutely changing directions in, in that process. And I, I think that is important to be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't always happen all the time no. and, or it's not appropriate necessarily yeah. for all conversations yes but when you're in that mode mm -hmm. right and, and when you have that sort of time allocated towards that brainstorming yeah. moment of making sure that you're affecting the conversation mm -hmm. instead of just sort of extending maybe somebody else's idea and letting them be the lead yeah. or it be their idea yeah but allowing there to be this interplay that has to happen. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very um, interested in, in studying how team, particularly multicultural team, operate. And I've observed um, team of business students operate. I've observed teams of design students operate. And, well, you know, their demographic being similar, um, they're undergraduates, so um, they come from various places. So the diversity was there in both groups that I studied. Um, what I see is exactly what you're describing, that business students have a tendency, and, and they collaborate as much as the design students, right? They, 
um, they achieve synergy as much as design students. I have not observed many differences, and I, and I use methods that measure that, um, and there are some metrics. But what I've seen as a difference is that the teams of business students like to zero in into a, dis, into a solution much sooner than the, than the teams of design students. We'd like to rehash it. They like to discuss it a little, long, a little longer. And, oft, and there is leadership in both groups that I've seen happening. So design students can take leadership when they mm -hmm. feel strong about, about something. But what I see as a difference is um, how fast the business students want to achieve something. There's mm. some sort of, I was about to say precipitation, but the, you know, there's some sort of rush. I want to get to the solution and be done with it, as opposed to the design student interested in encompassing um, looking at many ways of reaching this solution before choosing one, which to some extent they don't choose. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which is a problem, but yes. we know that, right? Um, I've also seen that the quality of the decision um, is often uh, better with design students. Uh, again, again, some yeah. metrics that I use. Um, it takes a little longer. Yeah, I, I see this as well um, in the, uh, the different classroom environments that I'm in, mm -hmm. whether it's design students or students from across the university yes. that maybe mm -hmm. don't have as much training in design. In that they're both the non-design students or university students, we'll say. One, when you're initially sort of introducing the project, they want to instantly move into researching what the solution should be. And, and that sort of, they're really focused on rewriting the problem multiple times over so that their solution fits that. Yeah. Um, as opposed to students that maybe have more design exposure, it's less about what the problem is. Mm -hmm. um, while they're researching the problem and they're spending time understanding the problem they're putting themselves in that place but they're looking towards the goal yeah and, and and i think that there's a really interesting difference that does happen between those two groups um and that allows for a more satisfying solution like you're talking about with the designers but it's more about the position of where they're at because they have a deeper understanding of the problem space so they can push that towards the the goal, so as maybe one or two elements change throughout the process or a new mm -hmm. factor gets introduced, yeah. they're able to accommodate that in their solution much more easily than the university students where they've narrowed their, their solution is so dependent on their view of the problem mm -hmm. that if you change any of the factors, it really makes the, the solution that they've come up with kind of fall apart. Mm -hmm. and, and so their solution becomes very, very dependent on their understanding versus having that understanding more built into um, the sort of unwritten part of the solution that the design students tend to more regularly um, 
demonstrate. Land on. Yeah. yeah. Totally agree with you, Adam. I, I think it has to do with how design curricula are made. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of studios. We have moments that are part of the curriculum that are meant to learn what you just described. How to uh, receive the question, how to discuss the question, how to reform the question, and how to start identifying the resources in the room or outside of the room that we, that we need to integrate into the process that we are going to adopt to respond to the question. We do that a lot, right? We do that every year. We do that few times a year. And um, I believe that this is when we're talking about, you know, who's more agile, who is going to be the generation of thinkers that will help us get unstuck from the mess we're in right now. Right? That we want the, in those leadership roles. That we will be good candidates for those leadership roles. I think right there, the fact that design students are trained to work together with people who are different, with people who have different ideas, with um, on, on subjects that are focused on making the world a, a, a more habitable place, just give them this, I was about to say reflex, perhaps it's not a reflex in the, you know, in the pure term, but it's this disposition to face when they hit the workplace, to face a situation with this kind of critical thinking and curiosity that they learn during their their studies, their design studies. Yeah, and with sort of comparing these two groups, and I don't mean to sort of elevate just design, because, no, but, but within this specific conversation, mm -hmm. um, I think the lost in translation, yeah. because a lot of the sort of university students um, have exposure to these designs, obviously, because that's part of just mm -hmm. how people naturally think as children. Yeah. But the tools and the procedures, the sort of artifacts, look very similar across mm -hmm. those two different groups mm -hmm. when you're comparing sort of what the everything that's produced by either the design team or the university students. They produce the same things. And so there's this similarity of they're going through the motions of it, but there is a difference in the thinking, that sort of perspective and that critical piece yes. to that. Mm -hmm. This is, I think, most evident when we see across our campus or other places, this sort of replication of like the design sprint, mm. where, where teams get together and it's like, in one week, we're gonna solve this problem, yeah. where the focus is very much on the outcome of it. Mm -hmm. While yes, designers are sort of required to produce an outcome, to, to find a solution, we, I think, prioritize that less. Mm -hmm. and, and we're we're not spending as much time thinking about the solution, mm -hmm. because we're thinking about the solutions yes. in, in a more complex way. 
or, or a, a, a more divergent way. I'll, I'll say it that way. Um, and, and so is there something that we can do? Because we want transdisciplinary teams. We yeah. want university students contributing mm -hmm. with their expertise on, on these collaborative teams and bringing them into the process. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess I keep going back to how can we, uh, and speaking as sort of design, how can we be better at fostering that critical thinking in those teams when, when people aren't familiar with that? They're not comfortable sharing. Um, so that they're less dependent on the making or the artifact or the, what the, the, the aesthetics of the final solution. Mm -hmm. Th those are important, absolutely. And design sprints can be fantastic mm -hmm. for provocation, right? Yes. But that's not the solution that would go into production. Yeah. And, and so where, where do you see that? I'm, I'm trying to sort of tease through this. And, yeah. and Put together well, some well, of these you, different you, parts you, of our conversation. You know what I'm going to answer to that question. You've heard me say that multiple times since I arrived uh, at OSU. I think every student should take at least one design class in their entire curriculum. That's not going to make them designers. But that's going to allow them during 15 weeks to experience what you're just describing, that you can approach when you are in a design course. And design should be part of general education because that is by doing what you just question um, that you are going to realize that maybe there are multiple solutions. Maybe focusing on the outcome is not what matters at this moment in my studies. Maybe there is value in the process that I'm opting to choose with the group in order to achieve what we've been asked to deliver. One more time, there is as much to be learned from the process as there is to be learned from the outcome. And, and repeating that process. And repeating that because process. Because while there, there's a flow to it, mm -hmm. it looks different each time you do it. And so you can't yeah. just sort of um, go through it one time yeah. and sort of feel like you're proficient, yes. just like anything. Yes. Right? Learning an instrument is the analogy I give to yeah. my students where right. you can't just have one lesson in guitar and know, feel competent in playing guitar or violin or whatever no, it as is. As I said, you're not but a designer when you do that. But to repeat it, it yes. allows you to start to put those connections together. Yeah. So you can um, feel more empowered mm -hmm. in, in affecting mm -hmm. the project. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think this can happen outside of design as well, but it's a great place to start or to introduce it so that way students within their career can have that exposure that they can then pull back into their discipline and provide that same level of um, uh, impact on the solution. Well, something else I tell my students frequently is like, you won't feel the effects of this class until three years from now. Mm -hmm. And that feels very unsatisfying because you can very easily sort of finish the class with a high grade. Yeah. And be like, what did I learn? Yeah, <laughs> because mm -hmm. it's hard to mm -hmm. give those sort of tangible evidence. Yes, 
um, when you're yeah. at home over Thanksgiving talking to your parents. Yes. But that practice, that the planting the seed uh, yes. of this different or mm-hmm. alternative way of thinking, this different mm-hmm. mindset that mm-hmm. we're trying to foster in yes. students, that curiosity and that yeah. the critical component of this will play out. Yeah. And, and I guarantee that will for all, all the students mm-hmm. that are a part of this mm-hmm. because it does take that time to sort of, you have to sit with it. Yes. Um, and, 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 I, and I agree with what you just said. It's developing a mindset. And also, when, when you nurture this mindset, when you face challenges, right? We don't always like challenges because they just get in our way and it's just not letting us do our work the way we intended originally to, to, to do it. Um, that mindset helps you see those challenges as new constraints to your thought process and you integrate them instead of just like get angry or just like pushing the challenges away and seeing them as an impediment. You still don't like them, but you have learned with that mindset to integrate them as part of the equation of the problem to be solved in, in a more difficult way. I think that helps us approach the, the difficult uh, challenges that um, we're facing more and more, you know, how are we going to make this planet, um, you know, last a little longer? How are we going to help living species develop uh, or renew with a better sense of well-being? You know, back to what I was saying earlier, that statement, you know, that uh, um, we've never been better off, but we've never been worse off as well, right? Um, so those challenges, you integrate them into your thinking process and you don't get angry about them. You just see them as an opportunity to think critically how, how you're going to overcome. And I think that does give a perspective on how you can both position yourself. It also can mm-hmm. sort of this, um, ease the decision-making process. Yes. Because you can have this sort of overarching principles and values mm-hmm. that allow you to make decisions in the process more intentionally versus having mm-hmm. that needing that time to consider in the moment. Yeah, we do want to work quick as designers. We we don't want to just linger on everything because some do. Come on, we we, we want that, but <laughs> we're, requirements don't allow for that oftentimes. Right. Yeah. And, and there's this sort of I think the taking the pressure off of sort of getting to that solution first. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you're sharing earlier with your experience, mm-hmm. we want to solve, make those smaller decisions quickly, whether we do need to go out and do research and pull that in to be better informed in that mm-hmm. specific moment. But within the process mm-hmm. itself, from start to finish of a project, yeah. the considerations can be more broader and, and we can fold that into thinking about the goal more than the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's a key difference that I, I don't think is talked about enough. Designers tend to focus on the goal. What are we trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. That desired outcome, yes. that future world and, yes. and the optimistic landscape of, yeah. of, of tomorrow mm-hmm. versus thinking about the solution yeah. that we're creating and generating. Yes, 
Yeah, I totally agree with you. Remember when we talk about this? Now it's it's kind of jargon or it's uh, perhaps turning into a fad. But when we talk about this iterative thinking process, that's exactly what you're describing. You always generate solutions in your iterative design thinking process because mm-hmm. that's what that's what the, the process does, right? You generate a solution. Then you compare the solution to what you were expecting. You prototype it. Well, no, that doesn't look like what I was expecting. Or you're happy with it, but the moment you put it in the hands of others, other human beings, they will say, no, no, it's not working for me. So then you go back and you you rethink it and you redesign it. And so that's why I think we are focused on the goal because designers know how many attempts it requires before you get to something that is at the same time satisfactory for you as the person in charge of delivering, satisfactory for the the stakeholders you've been working with, i.e. the client, the government, the institution, the professor, and satisfying for whoever's going to be benefiting from this outcome, which often we call the users, but could be yeah. any anybody, right? Uh, a, a broad spectrum of users. So because we have so many different people to serve, we know that um, this quest, this is a quest. This is not a zero in, as I was talking about earlier, Let's get it done, it works, let's move to the next project. No, you know that this is to serve this variety of uh, actors involved in your process, it takes time and it takes a lot of thinking and a lot of doing. And, And being comfortable with making a decision and then having to rethink that decision or, or, or reprocess it, that iterative process, right? Of once you come up with a solution, Mm -hmm. you actually have to look at, or you come up with an answer. Mm -hmm. You have to look at that answer in context of the problem you're trying to address to see if that makes sense or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I liken it to something that we're all familiar with and we all have had experience with is just getting dressed in the morning. You have a whole closet. Tell me about it. You have a whole closet of choices. And you can come up with many, many outfits that work for that day. But you do go through this process and it can happen very quickly Mm -hmm. of what am I doing today? Where am I going? Mm -hmm. How long will I be away from the house? Or what am I doing? And you go through this process of selecting an outfit. And you might put something on and be like, oh, that doesn't quite look right. And and so you change your shirt or or your socks or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then you end up going downstairs and your spouse, your child, your roommate looks at you like, you're wearing that today, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so multiple people like are, 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 are involved in this. Yeah. And we can very easily sort of like imagine all the different things we could have worn today. But mm. you settle on a single solution that makes the most sense, yeah. right? Because you're looking at the goal. Yeah. And the goal has certain requirements or, or for the solution yeah. of I'm going to be walking a lot. Yeah. So I'm going to wear comfortable yeah, I like shoes. your example. It's, uh, it's um, But it's something that we all do this process. Yeah. We all go through this sort of, yeah. even in a very low stake, yeah. 
um, almost second nature for, for men, most days when you're oh, going to work again. Mm-hmm. We go through this process, this iterative process. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a lot of changes. Sometimes yeah. we get it right on the first time. Yeah. Um, and the question is, how do we build that up so that way that way of thinking also can enter into the workplace? Mm-hmm. So that way we're, we're flexible enough and, and we're not sort of constrained to, yeah. I need the perfect outfit, yeah. which we think about in work terms, I need the perfect solution, I yeah. need the perfect thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just need the one that works. Yes. And then, and then I can move on and I can move to the next thing because yeah. I'm more interested in, in continuing this on, right? Right. But I, I, so, I think you, you, you know, I'm hearing you talking about this outfit thing and it, it mm-hmm. makes me think of um, another dimension that we didn't touch much uh, in this conversation, but that is, I think, important to understand why it is getting so difficult to find a good decision. It's because we have so many decisions to make. And that also is in part why people start to feel, um, you know, their mental abilities so challenged. It's because we have so many decisions to make in, in, in the daytime. And not only in the office, even in entertainment. Think of that, let's say in the 50s, you wanted to see a movie. You would have one destination <laughs> and they were showing one movie but that was a great moment you would go with your friends with your family you would just go see the movie that's showing where you live and one you just destination focus, you're just, just enjoying one. the experience you don't have to make more than one decision that is who am i going to see the movie with today we have a choice of locations outside our house, in our house, in a plane, mm-hmm. in where in a car. It, we have the choice of the medium. It could be on our phone, it could be on a tablet, it could be on a TV, it could be at the theater. We have multiple choice of the genre we want we're going to see. And we still have the choice about who we're going to see it with. Plus, we have the choice about how we're going to go see it. Look at how many decisions we now need to make before we see one movie, before we end up looking at the screen. It's insane, right? Yes. <laughs> that, that keeps your, your, your mind so busy with so many decisions. And then you add what you just said about the outfit. Then you add about all sorts of choices that we have about how, when we're going to do something. That's why it is so complex because we need to integrate all these options, select some and go for them. And then we realize, oh, I did not make the right selection. Can I, can I just rewind and go for another one? It's just, so overwhelming yes right yeah and and having a perspective that Mm -hmm. helps make those decisions i Mm -hmm. think is critical and and something i think designers do kind of adopt and i don't know if it's sort of formally Mm -hmm. 
mm. taught, but yeah. just sort of uh, over the years of yeah. either design school or just practicing design. Yes. Um, or two personalities or roles I think the designer shares mm-hmm. is that of being an advocate. Yeah. To where we are trying to think about that human experience and yes. whatever the problem is that we're solving. Right. It has to work for them. Yeah. And, and really being able to allow that to help make decisions. Yes. And we want them to simplify our lives yes. too, right? Yes. yes. Right. And, and the other one is being that of the moderator mm. of when in all design challenges, mm. they're going to be of opposing viewpoints yeah. and being able to sort of weight those mm. to be able to make the best decision as to, is it a compromise or are we leaning closer to one or the other sort of parties Mm-hmm. within that mm-hmm. sort of specific conflict. Yeah. And I think having that perspective or that personality of, of adopting those two roles makes the decision-making process a little more simplified, at least when you're in the project mm-hmm. itself, because mm-hmm. it's obvious that the solution needs to work for them. And, and so if the idea we're coming up with, the solution that we're prototyping, isn't that, it's much easier to articulate that, no, this will not work. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there, and, and how people are moving or operating within that thing, this will not work. Yes. Um, and, and so I think that's something that we can all adopt, um, especially in the workplace, of being able to help us serve, especially if we have an intuition mm-hmm. that, like, I'm, not, I'm leaning this way, but I don't know why, of being able to sort of clearly articulate it mm-hmm. because – we, we at least know that designers are bad at sort of communicating their ideas verbally, right? We want to show it or express it. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm using my hands to sort yes. of um, reenact the, the situation I'm describing. I, I, I would say that they are not bad at communicating because they have so many ways to share their ideas mm-hmm. more than most others because they master the visual communication of their idea. What I would say they have room for improvement is they believe that describing the way they have thought about the idea does not work for everybody. So if you're talking to another designer, yes, they will definitely understand this communication. But you need to speak the engineering way. Mm. You need to speak the business way. You need to speak the finance way. Need, you need to speak the production, be fabrication at translating. way. You need to learn how to change your narrative. It's still the same idea, right? Yeah. Or it's still the same outcome. But you need to change the narrative so that you're going to emphasize the dimensions of your proposition that are going to resonate with the person you're talking to. So if you're, com- if you're com- and I've seen that so many times when I was in practice, that some designer would have such good propositions, but the engineers or the financier wouldn't see these as relevant because instead of talking about ROI, they would talk about cost. Instead of saying to the engineer or the developer, if it's a a software, 
we're going to use the, the architecture you already built. Uh, what we want to improve is, I don't know, the loading time of the page, you know. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to um, continue to um, help you invest in the production process that you have a lot of money into to produce this other product. What we're just asking you is to add this dimension to um, the manufacturing process or to change this material or whatever. Um, That's changing just a few elements of the narrative to communicate the idea so that I understand how this design proposition is going to impact what I'm doing um, as as another discipline or as, as the expert of a part that is going to become my responsibility. They can realize the value. They can realize the value in their own terms. Yes. To me, that's the major hurdle that prevents designer from being more successful at convincing in an organization. You know, you always hear even very advanced designer, oh, finance, CFOs, I'm just sick of them. Uh, CMOs, you know, those marketing people, they're just driving me nuts. Or these engineers. Well, yeah, sure, of course. Everybody's trying to protect what they've been doing so far. And when you come with something disruptive, then they're going to push back. But it's really embedding into your narrative how this is going to be a good solution for whoever is the raison d'etre of what we're doing as an organization. Whether it's the environment, whether it's people, whether it's public policies, better, whether it's social health, whether it's, you know, because we're, that's why we're here together for. Yeah, it's a, it's a separate design challenge it's at the challenge. end of the design yes, process of yeah. once you realize what the the best solution is or the one that you think is going to satisfy mm-hmm. you then have to sort of take that solution yeah. and communicate it to the audience that you're talking to whether that is someone internally within your organization yeah. or externally to to the client or end users but being able to not just sort of take the solution that you've developed and be like here and thrust it in front of them and expect them to understand and get it because, because you've won't. been working on it for mm-hmm. however many days, weeks, months. Yeah, and you can do that without losing your passion. Correct, right? absolutely. But it's but just, just sort of retooling, the terms. Yeah, yes. and, yeah. And, and putting it in terms so mm-hmm. the the separate design challenge yes. is in taking that solution. Yeah and formatting it in a way that is understandable, right? So that way you're easy to follow and they, they can sort of more quickly reach buy-in. Mm-hmm. For people that are not coming from a design background, yeah. how can they also sort of engage in this type of work or, or what we're talking about, this mindset that mm-hmm. has been, been the theme of our conversation? How can they engage in this design mindset when they're on a team project? Mm-hmm. Um, especially if it's in an industry that maybe they individually feel creative, but maybe the industry or their workplace doesn't have that same disposition. Yeah. I think the curiosity piece that we discussed earlier is definitely um, 
a factor that I would very much encourage those uh, people you're describing to cultivate, right? Stay curious about your surrounding. Um, play, play games. You know, the, mm. we, we, we've seen that there is a resurgence of board games or, you know, like particularly on campuses. And, and I'm not necessarily talking about games where you make money. I'm talking about games where you engage. And why do I think it is a good uh, response to your question is because in games, it's competitive. So that's the world out there, right? That's the workforce. But you learn to collaborate within mm. a competitive um, environment. And you see that most of the time, it's by learning how you position yourself in the negotiation, in the collaboration, how you can form a coalition in order to get what you want uh, from whatever, the resources of others, right? Yeah. You, you just do that and it's, it's fun. There's no nobody harm. It's a game. But you, you just learn this basic tenets of collaboration, of negotiation, of being passionate about, you know, you want to win. It, yeah. There's nothing wrong about winning, right? As long as another um, stereotype is not always a zero-sum game. Yes. You can win and... Someone else can win Somebody too. can win too. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's an, uh, an advice. Another advice I would give to um, uh, non-designers who are going to work in this creative teams is um, to to think of an object or a process or something that bothered them today. So it could be um, um, something that you want to do faster. It could be an interaction, you know, like one of those uh, voice automated system that just <laughs> didn't get you the answer you were looking for, or a bot you were chatting and it's like, mm -hmm. is that the answer you were looking for? And you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, think of this kind of moments. Or um, uh, an example <laughs> that just happened to me a few days ago, I was trying to remove the seal of a coffee uh, thing, bag, yeah, and it just exploded in front of me, right? And you, so when you, cultivate this curiosity, you ask yourself, well, that kind of things, how, how, can, I, how can I be part of the, of the solution? And, and so then just think how you could experience, how you could have made this experience better. Write it down. If you can draw, draw it, you know, think about it. Do, do this loop back about your experience um, and again, anybody can do that. You don't need to be a designer. So look back, go back to your experience, write down or draw why it frustrated you. And then if you want to go to the next step, think about what a good solution would look like. Mm -hmm. Don't overthink it, right? I mean, we don't want to get into uh, analysis paralysis that often uh, just blocks us. But what it would mean to you, what it would look like, um, how perhaps you want to share this uh, idea with somebody else, and 
engage a conversation about, hey, you know, I was thinking, I was really frustrated with this experience, and I was thinking about that. What do you think? And just start exchanging. Um, and I think right there, you have the, the first premise of uh, what uh, design thinking over a solution looks like. Yeah, I, I love both of those suggestions for people. Um, the other thing that I love about gameplay is that it's not about the outcome, oh. right? And, and so it really is focused. Well, it, well, it, it's it could be I'm, because I'm sorry, it, I mean to say you, it's, you it's, want to win, right? <clears throat> yes. Yes, but not at the expense of others. But it's about the process. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's that experience that you're describing, the exchanges yes. and the interactions. Yes. The, the priority yes. is, is on the, the experience, mm -hmm. the time spent together versus yep. who won. Yes. And, and so right. I think that's something that building that repeti repetition mm -hmm. is absolutely valuable yeah. uh, across the board for people. And yeah. then similarly, paying attention right. um, to, to those little inconveniences that we all experience. Mm -hmm. and, and just as a, a sort of mental game, uh, a fun exercise to spend a week, how would you do it differently, right? Mm -hmm. what, what would your mm -hmm. solution be to mm -hmm. that problem? I think those are, are fun experience again, but in, in both, it's just building that repetition. Yes. Neither of them have to have the perfect outcome of you always win the game or you start all these startups with solving all the problems mm -hmm. that you, you encounter. But it's building that disposition and really sort of flexing those sort of creative muscles to build that mindset so you're more comfortable in that space of unknown, yeah. that space of openness yes. and able to sort of navigate that in your decision making to be able to have that something that as you develop that's going to sort of seep into your workplace, seep into your schoolwork and just change your, your sort of disposition. And, both of those things are very easy to do. And I, I think oftentimes people think being creative is hard. It's not. You can take these small steps that are very easy to do. And as you take those simple steps, the next step becomes more easy yes. and, and, mm -hmm. and more comfortable. And, and sort of before you know it, you're fully engaged in, in having your sleeves rolled up into that sort of design process mm -hmm. that we've been talking about. Yeah. It's hard and it's fun at the same time. It, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, with that, um, I, I want to thank you for being here today. Welcome. I, it was a good conversation, I'm, madam. <laughs> I'm glad that you were able to join me for this first episode um, in our conversation. I also want to thank our listeners. Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate your attention. and I hope that this episode provided you with something to consider. Um, I am your host, Adam Fromey, and this has been Thinking Through Design. Thinking Through Design is produced by Adam Fromey and recorded in sunny Columbus, Ohio at the College of Arts and Sciences Digital Media Studio in Haggerty Hall on the campus of The Ohio State University. Music is Relax Part 1 by the acclaimed Paul Nini. I'm Ava Dale.